There are weaknesses in current law which are hurting our students, and we need to take action. It is the duty of this legislature to take action. Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. That was Assemblyman Patrick O'Donnell. He's from Long Beach, opening debate this week on his bill that would almost certainly make it more difficult to open new charter schools in California. We'll talk about the charter controversy. And we'll also talk about a vote of confidence in California Community College's Chancellor Eloy Oakley on the part of his employer, the Community College's Board of Governors. That comes on the heels of no-confidence votes in Oakley from the union representing most faculty members and another no-confidence vote from a faculty association. But first, John, let's talk about the charter debate in the Assembly on a bill authored by O'Donnell. His bill would, for one thing, allow districts to refuse to grant a charter school permission to open if they felt it had a financial impact on the district. And it would also limit the right of appeals of charter schools that had been denied a charter by a local school board. Yes, the debate got pretty intense. Let's hear from Assemblyman Al Muratsuchi from Torrance explaining why he couldn't support the bill without assurances that good charter schools wouldn't be shut down. If the author is willing to commit today, right now, that he will amend the bill to ensure that good charter schools producing good academic results will not be shut down, then I will be willing to support this bill. Anything short of that, I will not be able to support the bill today. Assemblywoman Christy Smith from Santa Clarita, a backer of the bill, praised charter schools but said reform still is necessary. Where we completely dropped the ball is in ensuring that what was supposed to be a charter school movement aimed at informing a feedback loop of improving schools for all kids has now become about politics and silos. We have a unique moment here to take that next step in getting us in that direction. I, as one of the co-authors, will tell you that I am committed to moving this vehicle along, to continue to have that conversation, to honor and recognize the work that is being done every day right now in great charters. I have some in my community. I have Granada Hills Charter High School, academic decathlon top performer every year nationally. SCVI International does fantastic and innovative things with their students. We have to honor that, but we also have to take the knowledge base out of those classrooms and get serious about funding the rest of public education so that no family has to make a choice. That's the point we're at, colleagues. Families shouldn't have to make a choice. And Assemblywoman Shirley Weber from San Diego, a former school board member herself, spoke out vigorously against the bill. She is arguing that the task force that Governor Newsom called for be able to finish its work and to come back to the legislature with its recommendations. Those are only due at the end of the month. Why would you form a task force whose job is to address the issues of chartering and authorization and financing? and bring together people from charters, from school districts, from leadership, all of those folks together to look at this very complex issue, to try to be fair about it. And then we author legislation, push it forward with the idea that as if something's going to happen in the next few months, push it forward so that then it becomes even more difficult to, to amend and to change. I think this is premature. I think that the issues are much more difficult and complex, and our constituents are telling us that. 
and that we are not prepared to make these kinds of decisions absence of a report that comes out to tell us how our, what's going on in our charters, how to best authorize the charters, what kind of issues need to be there, certain assumptions we've made. We made assumptions in here that the charters are breaking the schools financially. We may discover in the report that that's not true. You know, Lewis, the debate and the vote happened on an interesting day, perhaps not coincidentally. This was Red for Ed, in which several thousand teachers from across California descended on the Capitol to talk about their, quote, starvation diet that schools have been facing and want more money, but also this California Teachers Association has been calling for passage of this bill and other restrictions on charter schools. And they were, let's say, looking very closely at who's voting how. Yeah, the teachers' union came out in force. In fact, some schools, like I have to say, my kid's school, Berkeley High School, virtually no students showed up. It was more or less a day off for students, while teachers went up to Sacramento to make their voices heard. The charter school folks were also out in force to try to get their perspective heard in Sacramento. But John, you're keeping him in suspense. What actually happened on this bill? Well, there was a lot of suspense. In fact, the vote on the bill had to be kept open for an hour because they couldn't get a majority to pass it. In the end, it did pass 44 to 19. But interestingly enough, 17 assembly members, mostly Democrats, I believe, abstained. They didn't vote. And that says something, Lewis. I think that says that there is a lot of equivocation among a lot of people who didn't vote, obviously, and even some who did. They wanted to pass the bill, have it go to the Senate and deal with it there. But I think there's some ambivalence among Democrats who basically support charters and they also want changes to the charter law, but they want to strike that balance. And yes, achieving that balance is uh, what's going to be very challenging because, as we just heard from Assemblywoman Christy Smith, she points to several very high-performing charter schools in her district. Tony Thurman, the state superintendent of public instruction, he also talks about charter schools that he actually voted to authorize when he was on the school board there and are uh, doing a good job. So the issue is how do we maintain the good charter schools and make sure that the lower-performing ones are doing better or are shut down? And then how do we make sure that this entire charter sector is able to coexist with the traditional public school system without hurting that system. And those are the issues that are on the table. And when you inject something like financial impact, which is very ambiguous as to how to measure that, you got to be careful when you craft new laws. And I think that's one of the issues that I uh, would think that the task force is looking into. And I think many legislators will be looking to the task force for guidance as to, in fact, what they should do with legislation. The fact that this bill passed the assembly does not really tell us very much as to what the eventual outcome of this is going to be. O'Donnell himself made the point over and over again, hey, I'm open to whatever amendments you want to bring forward. It has to go to the Senate. And then we don't know what Governor Newsom is going to do. So this, to me, seemed like it was a placeholder to keep the issue on the table. I mean, admittedly front and center, but long way from knowing how this will play itself out. I think this sends a message to Governor Newsom that there's a lot of pressure on him to try and strike that balance we just talked about, and we really don't know where he stands. So over the next month, all eyes are going to be watching on him. And it's also going to be interesting to see what this Chartered Task Force comes up with. And we really don't know because the meetings have been held behind closed doors. And I think a lot of eyes across the nation will be looking at California because it's been one of the leaders in charter school movement. And so if there's a shift, as we sense there is, in momentum here, 
the nation will be looking for sort of direction from California's which way to go. And the reason for that is that uh, there's 1,300 charter schools in California, and it has a disproportionately large share of the approximately 7,000 charter schools around the country. We'll be back in a moment to talk about another vote, this having to do with the California Community Colleges. So, Lewis, what vote were you talking about with regard to the California Community Colleges? Well, it was a much smaller vote. It was a vote on the California Community Colleges Board of Governors. And the Board of Governors voted to extend the contract of Chancellor Eloy Oakley for another three years. He's going to be there through 2023 now. His contract was due to end in 2020, and they've now extended it through 2023. But what was interesting is that... This vote of confidence in the chancellor came on the heels of votes of no confidence by the union representing the faculty, as we mentioned before, and something called the California Faculty Association, representing about 9,000 faculty members. So what was their beef? Well, I think it's multiple beefs. One is a traditional complaint of most faculty on most campuses that they weren't consulted sufficiently by the chancellor's office. But other concerns about this funding formula that Eloy Oakley supported was really Governor Brown's proposal to base some of the funding for community colleges, not just on the enrollment, not just on the number of students in a college, but also on the performance of those students and, by extension, the performance of the college. I think they're not used to having a strong-willed chancellor as well, sort of driving reform, right? It's been a much more decentralized system. Well, the system by its nature, is decentralized because every community college has its own elected board of trustees. And then you have this chancellor's office, which has more limited powers. But there have been some pretty good chancellors of the community colleges, Jack Scott, the former assemblyman, and Bryce Harris, who was a former president of the community colleges in Sacramento. But the pressures are really on right now for the community colleges to get more students to the finish line. Just not enough students are getting there. Yeah, I think that a lot of faculty members are complaining about what they call reform overload. Too many changes coming too fast, and it's difficult to adjust to all of them. At least that's what they're saying. There's other major reforms, uh, the reform of remedial education. There's a new online community college. Right. Lots of concerns about that. So we thought we'd ask Tom Epstein, who's president of the California Community College's Board of Governors, to get his thoughts and to ask him what prompted the board to extend Oakley's contract. His contract was originally for four years. It was supposed to end at the end of 2020. We are very pleased with the work the chancellor has done. We wanted to send a signal to both him and the system that we had great confidence in the strategy we're pursuing and in his leadership of the strategy. And uh, in our uh, closed session Tuesday, we agreed to offer him a four-year extension starting in 2020. So it would really be four more years after the first three that he's served. So he will be there through 2023. Now, this obviously sends a signal of, of great confidence uh, on the part of the board in, in uh, his leadership. 
It does. He's been an extraordinary visionary, I think, for the community college system. His passion for students and for accelerating their success is unmatched. And we believe strongly in the strategy that he basically helped create and we massaged. And we think it's it's showing progress. We believe that the students are already benefiting from reforms like eliminating the placement tests and uh, non-credit remedial courses. We think Guided Pathways is a very important way to help students achieve their goals more quickly and, and make it simpler for them. And we believe in the new funding formula that the, the chancellor helped get enacted, as well as the online college that, uh, that we are beginning to create. And we think all of those things will help uh, both the core students that are in the community colleges today, as well as full-time workers who haven't been able to access a community college because their schedule doesn't permit it. We're talking with Tom Epstein, who is president of the Board of Governors of the California Community Colleges. So just to uh, state what seems kind of obvious, that you guys, uh, the board, has expressed great confidence in Elo Oakley, but that comes on the heels of the biggest uh, union, the California Federation of Teachers, a, a faculty association, also passing uh, resolutions of no confidence in Chancellor Oakley. I'm wondering to what extent your extending the contract was in response to that or, or trying to really send another message. Uh, It wasn't in response to those concerns by the faculty, but it elevated the issue to our attention probably more quickly. Uh, We would have certainly wanted to offer Chancellor Oakley a renewal by the end of this year. But in light of the speaking out by some of these constituencies, we wanted it to be clear that the board had complete confidence in the chancellor and that we were going to continue with the strategy that we have been pursuing under his leadership. And just to ask you about this Vision for Success initiative, which extended what was already in place when Chancellor Oakley became chancellor, but uh, was stated in this in this document, which Ed Source reported on it at some length. But uh, there hasn't been a lot of progress by Chancellor Oakley's and I guess your, the board's own admission. The report, for example, showed that there was less than a 1% increase in the number of students who earned degrees or credentials, and um, a 3% rise in students who transferred to UC or CSU, but that's not advancing at a fast enough rate to reach the ambitious goals that you've set. Right. Well, uh, there are two things I want to say about that. First of all, the vision for success is not just a continuation of what we were doing before. It's a serious reform of of the strategy that the Board of Governors had been pursuing previously. It's much more uh, thorough and integrated and, and aggressive with very specific goals that didn't exist before the Vision for Success was adopted. But the reason that the progress in the first year wasn't as significant as maybe some had expected is that students are in the community college system often for three, four, or many as six years. And the vision was adopted and the programs were just beginning to be implemented last year. So in reality, very few of the colleges have even fully implemented guided pathways, let alone the uh, the AB 705 reforms that eliminate the placement tests and uh, remedial courses. So it's going to take a while to show the impact of the vision for success. And I think, you know, given that uh, the cohort of students that is going to be really impacted by this is just enrolling now, it's going to take you know, many years before the really significant gains are made. And I think that those who are 
evaluating the progress need to keep that in mind. Before I let you go, I did want to ask you about what has kind of been a historic tension in, in the whole governance structure of the community colleges. I mean, every college has its own elected board of trustees, whether it's their own one or part of a district. And then you've got the chancellor's office and the board of governors, which is an appointed body and doesn't have as much power, let's say, as the UC Board of Regents or the CSU Board of Trustees to really direct policy for the whole system. Is that partly what's going on here? And is that something that's frustrating to you as, as a president of this board of governors? It's the way it's been for a long time. It's not going to change. You've got 72 elected boards that have their authority and they're going to exercise it. We try very hard to consult with the trustees of these colleges as well as the presidents of each individual college. And we feel that we're communicating pretty effectively. We can always do better. But uh, in general, uh, we haven't encountered a lot of resistance to our overall strategy, to the vision for success from the boards of trustees of the local colleges. And I've traveled to uh, almost 50 colleges so far just to make sure that, uh, that I'm listening to what the system is saying. And I've encountered quite a bit of support for what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, obviously, there are pockets of resistance. The CFT action against the chancellor uh, is indicative of some of that resistance. But overall, I think the system is on board. Uh, they know that we're putting students first and focused on student success and that these reforms need to be made because, frankly, the, the system wasn't delivering what it should have been doing. Not enough students were completing. They weren't completing fast enough. And our Board of Governors has a strong sense of urgency that this needs to change, and that's why we're moving so aggressively on many fronts. That said, you know, change is difficult. These systems have been around for a long time, and we recognize that for people to change their behavior, this is never going to be easy, but we're trying to work with them, give advice, counsel, provide extra funding. And we think in the next couple of years, all the colleges will be on board with this strategy and moving forward. And uh, we're confident that in the long run, we're going to have success. That was Tom Epstein, president of the California Community Colleges Board of Governors. You know, John, we started off this podcast talking about charter schools, and there really is a relationship between our discussion of charter schools and the community colleges. Sure, in the sense that kids' preparations for what they do after high school is really important. And so many students are going to community colleges really unprepared. And so what happens to charter schools and their relationships with traditional schools is really important. Yes, how we educate kids most effectively so that by the time they get to college, they are fully prepared is really the issue that's being discussed when we talk about charter schools versus traditional public schools. Good reminder, Lewis, of the link. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Thanks, Kobe. Please subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.